Erica, why don't you introduce our next guest as someone that you have uh, and I admire a lot, someone that you've been close to and who's done some great things here at Utah. Well, I just think it's appropriate that if we're talking about Aggie legends that we include one of them. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's been a part of literally hundreds and hundreds of broadcasts of Utah State Athletics over the years. Uh, he's done over a thousand games, uh, continues to still do stuff for us here at the Cash Valley Media Group before and after every game. So very dedicated to his craft. Uh, and uh, he's certainly seen probably more games than most, and that's Al Lewis, and he joins us now here on The Fan. Al, thanks for carving out some of your time. I know you're a busy guy, but uh, thanks for uh, part of our process here to talk about some of these former Aggie greats and share some of your memories about them. Okay, well, I'm not busy at all, and I didn't know you were talking about me until you... (laughs) (laughs) He's so modest. Uh, Al, I, I just got done listening, and, and Eric and I are going to post something on our podcast that's really, really, really neat, and it's you narrating Wayne S.'s life from, and, and talking about, you know, when, when he was born, and, 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 and having Liddell Anderson join you, and then uh, all the way to where he had that historic night on February 8th, 19, is it 65, is 65, that right? 65, yep. And, 65 and, years and, coming up Saturday. And, and bringing that whole thing to life. It is the most reverent, beautiful thing I've ever heard of Wayne S. It's such you, a great tribute. Do you remember when you put that together? Yeah, it was ten year, exactly 10 years. So I did it in 1975 on KBNU. I had a once-a-week uh, show that I did in the evening where I'd interview players or interview coaches. And I put that together at the 10-year anniversary uh, when it was 10 years after and Liddell Anderson – I still remember him sitting down and talking to me. And Reed Andreessen, who was the, the play-by-play the guy who worked for KBNU at that time, uh, sitting down and talking to him. And uh, we, they went through and remembered that. And it was really interesting as you talked to them. It was like they reverted right back to the how they felt. Uh, it was Reed Andreessen who came over and told our family, uh, we lived next door to him in Logan, about the accident the morning after. And that was the first I heard about it as a kid because we were all excited because he'd had such a great game the night before. And uh, so, and then Liddell Anderson, it was just like, he, he was almost like, a, well, we went and did this. And it was almost like he was talking like in the exact time when he went back and did those things after it all happened and what happened when he went to the hospital and all those things. So uh, it, was, it was good. It was 10 years after that I did that. This is uh this weekend is, is, kind of a special thing they're going to be doing in the stadium. Uh, not only is it an anniversary for Wayne Estes, it's an anniversary of the Spectrum itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you've certainly seen hundreds of games there. Uh, just your... It, it, if someone was to, I don't know, fall out of a plane from some strange land and say, tell me about the Spectrum, how would you? what would you tell them? What kind of a well, venue I think, is I it? I think it's been one of the great basketball buildings of all time. Uh, it's uh, you know, you're right on top of the action with 10,000 people. Uh, it's always been loud. Uh, I was in Las Vegas when they uh, going to high school. I, I was three years. I didn't live in Logan. And I came back from Las Vegas to the first game in the spectrum when they played Ohio State. Uh, so that was something I had to do because I had season tickets when I was a kid in the old field house uh, before I moved to Las Vegas. And so uh, I came back to the first game when they played Ohio State. The Spectrum has always been uh, a place that's it, it's a great basketball venue. Uh, you're like I said, it's loud. Uh, it's uh, it's just been good, and 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 the Aggies win most of the time. I think it's eighty percent or more 
uh, down through the years. And there's a reason for that is because they've always given a big amount of the tickets to the students, make a lot of noise. And it's just been a great place to, to play basketball and watch basketball. And, and uh, Utah State's had, for the most part, great years in there in basketball. Al, can you share some of your most memorable games that you're, you're able to call at the Spectrum? Let's see. At the Spectrum, um, well, I, I didn't do the game, the 142 to 140 Vegas-Utah uh, State game, but still I was in the stands and watching that one. Uh, that was fun. Uh, as far as ones I've done, I remember, I don't know why it comes to my mind, Freeman Williams was a great scorer in college basketball. He played for Portland State. He came to town. And everybody was all hyped up because he was going to play the Aggies. And we were an independent team at that time, so we had to try to find people to play. And Portland State came into town, and I still remember he was leading scorer in the nation, and he got the ball off to a tip, just barely walked across the timeline, and the crowd's just yelling, shoot, shoot. So he buried about a 45-foot shot in front of uh, Dutch Belknap uh, to start that game and it showed that why he was the leading scorer in the nation to everybody. Uh, you know, you, you kind of remember – some of the weird endings that didn't go well for the Aggies. Uh, I remember Irvine twice beat the Aggies on last-second shots. I remember uh, the uh, Jimmy DeGraffin read almost half-court shot for Weber State when they came back and beat the Aggies. I remember the game against Weber State where Weber State just rolled us in the first half, and in the second half they couldn't, couldn't hardly score a point, and the Aggies beat them going away. After they were down by 20 almost at halftime. Uh, there's many, many great games in there, though, that We've won the games against Nevada one year when they were ranked, and um, Maurice Spillers uh, making uh, late plays in in the game on a three point play. I remember we beat Utah the year after they'd been in the championship game uh, of college basketball, and they came in with a team that was ranked. And Stu's first year wasn't a very good team, and they beat them uh, in one of the early games in the Spectrum. Uh, BYU Utah State games have always been great. Uh, the Greg Grant uh, stealing the ball from Avery and Parrish to go in and score and win the game against BYU, and it looked like BYU could put it away in Logan. Um, and, and it goes on and on. I mean, you know, the atmosphere last year of uh, our games against Nevada and San, Jose, and San Diego State at the end of the year were as good as I think it's ever been, and it was great to see the Aggies get the spectrum back like that last year. Um, I remember Wichita State when they came to town for a bracket buster mm. game. Uh, Coach Marshall, uh, uh, after the game, said, "I guess I've been to all the places in the country, and this compares to Duke, you know, Cameron Indoor Stadium for noise and excitement and everything." So, uh, those are some of the things that just come to mind because there's so many great players that have been in there, and we've had some great teams, great moments, and you know, it's always it's just always been a great comfort at home for the Aggies. I think. Al, uh, again, we're talking to Al Lewis, uh, uh, as we all know, the voice of the Aggies, as he's been for so many different years and through many different generations of Aggie fans, this is a, a, a game coming up on Saturday where they're going to be recognizing, kind of reuniting a couple different teams over the years. Uh, and let's start with that uh, team. It was that 94-95 season. Um, and uh, what, what, what are some of your memories of that squad and some of the things that they did or went through under Larry Eustacey? They overachieved in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think anybody expected them to be very good, and uh, they uh, they kept playing and playing and playing, and and um, you know, uh, and kind of set it up towards the next year, where that I think it was the next year's team, the, the team of '95-six, that actually won the conference tournament uh, or played in the conference tournament championship game and lost to San Jose on the last second shot when nobody expected them to be there, but 
you know, Roddy Anderson and Corwin Woodard and those guys playing for Larry after Larry had two good teams to start off kind of a little bit here at Utah State and had some players. And it was a little bit of a different team that year. But, um, you know, they they achieved and and went to the NIT and and lost a game to Illinois State, as I remember playing at home for some reason. That seems to stick in my mind of that team. But uh, I remember Roddy was such a hard-nosed guard and, and, and solid and, and they had some good players in that era of Utah State basketball. Silas Mills played around one of those teams or close to it. He was always a good player. Uh, Marie, uh, Myron Sims, uh, I've seen him a couple of times in high school coaching, uh, still in the state of Utah. Um, uh, you know, that team was the one that, that finally beat UNLV in Logan. Uh, they, they finally, uh, I mean, might have been the year before that, but they had, I, I don't know if it was that year or the year after, but that group of guys, Woodard, uh, Roddy Anderson, uh, Covington Cormier, they're the ones who finally beat him. Justin Jones was a part of those teams. Uh, he was a great shooter. Uh, so that was a, some of my thoughts of that team, I guess. What is your thoughts? Uh, I remember the final interview you did with Stu Morrill in his final game after he was done uh, for post game, and you got emotional. And, oh, I, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, he did a little bit too. What was your memories about Stu Morrill and him as a coach and coming from Colorado State but staying as long as he did? Well, I... I thought when when um, Bruce Vandevelli, the athletic director, told a friend of mine and and uh, told me and a friend of mine that, hey, what do you think? Do you think we could get? What do you think of Stu Morrill being our coach? And we both said, really, we that's perfect. And it turned out to be perfect. Um, he'd been at Colorado State, been at Montana, but he was a Utah guy, and uh, he he just immediately came in here and and got things going the right direction. And of course, we're better off for the you know the 17 years he had. Um, you know, I, we had some really great games. They were so good in conference play because they could, if they could play their style, they could just chew up anybody they played. And unfortunately, I think sometimes when they went to the NCAA, they just kind of ran into somebody who was a little more athletic that could get through that. But of course the win against Ohio state's probably the greatest basketball game. Maybe I, you could probably say I ever broadcast because we won an NCAA game and won it coming from behind and tying it on last second shot and then winning it going away in the overtime against Ohio State. Uh, and then we play UCLA the next game, and we couldn't score for so long. I think we missed about like 30 straight shots in that game against UCLA and Greensboro. But um, Stu's, Stu's a terrific man, and um, he coached guys to be good basketball players. He developed big guys great. Uh, they, uh, teams would always uh, had a hard time playing against us because they could not solve everything that they put into the game. He ran so many plays and, and was so good defensively and coaching, and, and they were so sound fundamentally and had great guys, and, and he made really good guys into great teams. I think that's what ended up happening with Stu Moral. Uh, the other teams that are uh, going to be recognized and, and brought together a little more uh, uh, current, I guess you could say, uh, one of those is a, is a team that had some NCAA success. Uh, and that has been kind of elusive for all the great teams that, have, that Stu Merle was able to produce. Uh, only one team was able to get an NCAA victory. Uh, what was that like being around that and, and the aftermath? All those guys, that was a great team. Uh, you know, with Sean Daniels is probably one of the best basketball players to get things done and not look maybe like a basketball player that we've ever had. But he was so sound, had great hands and could rebound and was solid inside, just couldn't shoot free throws, but everything else he was great. But Bernard Rock, Tony Brown, uh, Dion Bailey, 
uh, Curtis Bob, uh, you know, Brennan Ray, those guys are a part of those guys uh, that are, you know, now, uh, you know, 20 years ago, basketball guys that were good. And that was the, the team. They played UConn one year in the tournament. Then the next year went back and beat Ohio State. Kind of the same guys. And uh, th- that they were really good. You know, the thing is, even the 40-year team, I had done the games the two years before those guys had their year uh, with Rod Tuller's team that played Clemson in the NCAA tournament. I'd, I'd done the games when, uh, you know, uh, the, that Hunger and um, and um, uh, Rich McElrath and some of those guys who played Clemson in Ogden with Rod Tuller's first team that's having the 40-year reunion. I'd, I'd been the announcer the two years before they played. So I know those guys very, very well and are good friends with, with all these guys, I, you know, you see them and just, it, it brings you back and you just think, how could it be that many years ago uh, that we were, you know, doing basketball games with those guys and now they're being honored to be a 40-year-old team or a 20-year-old team. It's hard to believe. What's the closest you came to getting a technical foul? Oh, probably, there was probably two or three times. Uh, <laughs> I, I One time... Uh, I had on one of the championship rings that the team got for being a conference champion and the ball came my direction and I put my hand out to stop the ball and my ring went flying out on the court. And uh, so that was, I don't know, but I think one time I was saying to Rod Tudor, wasn't that traveling? And I was making the traveling signal and one of the officials saw that, didn't like it. And then um, I think Randy McCall once, uh, said like, well, who are you? And Stu came over and defended me and said, "That's our guy. Don't bother him. If you got a problem, talk to me." So um, <laughs> I, you know, but uh, yeah, sometimes I, I, I was on I was on the verge, you know. So, but yeah, you're. I, I tended to yell loud sometimes with officials in front of me, and I didn't like what they maybe called. <laughs> so. Certainly, one of the the attributes of Al Lewis calling an Aggie game was uh, being sure excited that. and being a true I fan. Passion, way passion. Too much over the top on those guys. Those guys have a tough job, and uh, they don't do a tough job very well. But I, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I so love that. Um, this is uh, we've had a chance to talk to some of these former players this past week, and it's been a blast. Uh, you had over your course of time many different opportunities to speak with these players, either in post-practice opportunities or after games. Uh, sometimes you, you used to have an interview show that you did and, and have these guys on. Uh, are there certain athletes that, that stand out to you and, and some of the guys that you used to talk to and develop a relationship with? Oh, uh, lots of them do. And a lot of them weren't always the greatest of interviews, but you get a chance to... to it, it, basketball guys, you get to travel more with them and you're more with them on longer trips. Football... I mean, there's some football guys I just love over the years, but you're kind of in and out and practices aren't quite the same. And and sitting there in basketball, uh, you do a lot more games in basketball. So you have a lot more pregame interviews you have to fill. So you talk to the guys more often than not. But, you know, I have a hard time, uh, to be honest, if I'm pinned down, to not uh, say that I didn't enjoy Spencer Nelson as about as much as anybody I ever worked with were around or broadcast games of. I mean, what a what a terrific guy and what a funny guy. Uh, the two guys who probably stand out to me to be about as funny and getting things uh, uh, light all the time around teams were he and Ty Wesley. They were both of them just terrific. Ty Wesley used to ride guys, uh, you know, mercilessly about something and. It was it was just a just funny to watch how they did things and 
those kind of guys come to mind, but many, many more are great, great guys. Uh, what's the funnest place or like the most memorable place you broadcasted a game at for basketball? Well, the, well, the most memorable has to be Cameron Indoor because oh, if right. you don't know it already, you have to climb a ladder to get into the, the perch that's above the court uh, to do the game. So that's the most memorable, plus, of course, just the overall stuff of Duke's Cameron Indoor. The only other place that comes to mind that was weird is they had the old gym at Boise State before they had Taco Bell Arena. And back in the 70s, when I did the games a couple of those years in the 70s, we did a game one night there where they put us up in the corner. It was almost like they opened a door of a room into the gym, and we were up in the corner of the of the arena doing a game. And that's a really a weird angle to do basketball at, but it actually wasn't bad. But uh, that stands to mind a little bit. And there's been a few places, I mean, uh, Cal State Northridge is probably one of the worst, smallest little places you could ever do a game in. <laughs> uh, uh, Idaho doing the game in, in you know, in their old uh, dome that they would do it in, where they set up their oh yeah. What, uh, Mike Strauss used to call their clip-on arena uh, that they'd make the football stadium into a basketball building. They're, those kind of things stand out. Uh, you know, the, the spectrum was always great. I uh, Eric asked a really good question yesterday to Spencer Nilton. I want to ask the same thing to you. When the Utah State went from Big West to, was it WAC and then Mountain West, what was that change like in regards to competition that you saw that Utah State had to face as they moved on, I guess, up the ladder, if you will? Uh, it definitely got harder, but again, uh, to think that Nevada, you know, that first year you had, you know, you had Fazekas, you had Sessions, you had uh, Kemp, guys that all at least played a little in the NBA or had a chance to. And we went in there with J.C. Carroll and Spencer's senior year, uh, Nate Harris and all that. Uh, we were ready to make that move and be competitive And what that team did do to make it to the championship game that first year and getting an NCAA at large bid uh, shows uh, you know, that they, they were ready to move up the ladder because we didn't get into the large bid out of the Big West Conference. That one year we ran the table and only lost in the semifinal game and Hardy had lost the game. We're still ranked in the top 25 at the end of the year. Uh, so... It was a step up, and it was harder, and the competition was better, and uh, it, it was definitely more exciting those years uh, to be involved. And you had Hawaii, and uh, you know some of the other teams. And, uh, but it, again, some of the old Big West teams. Eventually, you were back with them when you played in the WAC, which was kind of great to bring back those old rivalries we had. Best opponent you ever got to call a game for as a player? Uh, let me think. I like that question, Eric. Best mm. player on the court, not Boy. wearing an Aggie jersey that you called. I'll tell you what. He was so annoying. <laughs> Danny Ainge was, <laughs> was, was really good. I mean, you know, it, I mean, he kind of comes to mind because he always would make some kind of play or some kind of something or other to beat you or get you or get underneath you or to you know, bait you into something. But again, he's smart in how he did things. Uh, so he'd come to mind from the seventies when I did the games a little bit in there. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's like Damian Lillard play against the Aggies and the Aggies actually did a pretty good job against him. Uh, you know, the, the Jerry Green from Irvine, he, he always seemed to have big games against us. Um, um, you know, the, the, a couple of guys at the University of Pacific uh, kind of come to mind. Uh, 
Um, you know, we did a really good job against Paul George when he played against, uh, you know, played against Fresno State. He never had great games against the Aggies. In fact, one year, Ty Wesley laid him out with a screen and he never played the rest of the game. He was hurt. And uh, so, uh, I, I don't know. That, that's hard. I mean, I guess Danny Ainge comes to mind the most. What, uh, in regards of as many great games as you call, what's the one loss that was most heartbreaking for you after the game was over that you still haven't maybe even gotten over yet? Mm-hmm. Well, Marquette, the NCAA game mm. that, that, that one of the reunion teams should have won in Boise, uh, is probably the one because you're up there. I think it was what six or seven points with less than two minutes to yeah. go, and they didn't win that game. That was hard. Um, Let's see. Is there others? Um, I, I, I've got to ask you with the Kansas game against Utah yeah, State. Had, and we, had two, we had uh, we had a decent shot. We had two decent shots there to tie the game against Kansas. Who was it? Do you remember? I can't remember. I think that, I think maybe one three pointer was maybe Desmond Penninger's shot. One of them. Yep. Uh, but I don't know. Who there, I think we had two opportunities, and somebody else shot another one, and and they were you know we had a chance. Uh, Troy Roll. Um, you know, should have been uh, should have been at the foul line to beat Florida in that game at uh, Maui uh, that we played uh, with Stu Morrill's about first really good team, uh, one of those reunion teams this week, and and they Miami played or Florida played for the championship that year in the NCAA. In fact, they might have won it, but I think they finished maybe finished second, but they might have won it. So. Uh, Al, again, we're talking to Al Lewis, the legendary voice of the Aggies. Uh, let's shift to this year's squad. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, Sam Merrill, kind of where he is and where he is in comparison to others who are at the level that he is quickly approaching. How would you compare him to some of those other Aggie greats over the years where he's so close to that 2,000 point uh, mark? We did this uh, one night in one of our pregame postgames that we've done this year on game day on KBNU. Um, He is... Right now, I still don't think he's quite as versatile as Greg Grant was. We're getting all kinds of stuff done in the game, but he's very close. I think that you can make an argument that Sam and Greg Grant are the two most versatile, productive uh, Aggie basketball players ever. Now, Wayne Estes was, you know, as far as a scorer in three years, what he accomplished in three years scoring would, would never be duplicated. Uh, as far as being able to do what he did and average 20 points a game as a sophomore in first place. And he was a terrific rebounder. I mean, I think his 25 rebounds or 28 rebounds might still be the number one thing. And 52 points is still, you know, up there as the highest scoring games. And J.C. Carroll is the best shooter by far the Aggies have ever Mm. had. But if you're going to put guys that do everything and put things together, you'd have to put Greg Grant and Sam Merrill ahead of, you know, now you start to talk about Spencers and uh, Ty Wesley type guys who could do lots of things, but they're a little bit behind, I think, Sam and uh, Greg Grant. Wow. That's great. Wow. Oh, that's great. That's a good breakdown right there. Hey, I, I got to ask you, uh, share with us, if you if you would be willing to, your appreciation for the for the color guys who sat next to you uh, mm-hmm. during a game in Raw Tiller and uh, who I think who who was another guy who sat next to you? I can't remember his name. Well, Tom Nasalki. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was one of them. And uh, you know, and then you know, now Lance Beckert's doing the games with Scott. Lance did quite ended up doing quite a few games with me a little mm. bit, and he was always kind of fun to work with. Of course, Rod 
went back. Uh, my first year, I came back to KBNU out of high school and started working at KBNU, uh, did Logan High games when Rod was still the coach at Logan High. So uh, a long time with him, and he was the assistant coach when I did the games in the 70s when Dutch was the coach. And then by the time I got back on, uh, Tom Nasulke, I think, did uh, – Tom Nasulke did uh, Stu's first – first maybe first year, and that was it. So Tom did about four years, and then Rod did the rest of them uh, with me in basketball. Of course, not all the road games, but the road games he could get to. Uh, but uh, those were the guys. And, I mean, I learned so much from Tom, and Tom basketball-wise knew a lot. And then Rod, of course, knew all the background and the history of playing against all these teams and, and playing in all these places and, and everything. It was, it was great to work with both of them and those two guys in basketball. Uh, last question for me. Uh, just not too long ago here, Liddell Anderson passed away. Mm. He was certainly an Aggie great for a lot of different reasons. Uh, what was your association with him, and how would you classify what he meant to Utah State Athletics? Oh, I, I mean, he played at Utah State. He came back and coached at Utah State after he'd been at Utah. And, and where would we have been without him? I mean, Steve Baker had had a couple of decent seasons, but Liddell really got basketball going the right direction for Utah State into the – 60s and 70s and and it stayed that way for the most part in the 80s and then of course you Stacy kind of lifted it again in the 90s uh uh but uh, I I grew up with Liddell's when they moved to town his son was always in school with me and I knew all five of his sons one of them just unfortunately after Liddell died his youngest son passed away uh, he'd had an accident in his life and had kind of lost the use of his legs and he's now passed away too since then so they had a two tragedies oh. in that family but again I uh uh, they're, they're dear friends. Uh, his, uh, one son, we probably still play golf three or four times during the year, uh, with, so I've always been close to the Andersons and, and, uh, and Liddell was always a, a dear friend. Yeah. Al, uh, final question for me. You were named not too long ago into the Utah Broadcasting Hall of Fame, rightfully so. Uh, you took your spot there. What did that honor mean to you, uh, to receive that, uh, that, uh, reward? Well, I I guess I that I'm old and I've been working a long time. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I couldn't have been more. I got to do exactly what I've wanted to do. When I was a kid, my I've told the story before. Uh, my family's one of their best friends was the Aggie announcer when uh, Wayne uh, when Merlin Olson played, and then uh, the the next guy who replaces him is my next door neighbor who does the games when Wayne Estes plays. And so all I ever wanted to do, and I went to Las Vegas, and I got the chance to start doing some games and doing a sports show for a station in Las Vegas. And I wanted to be a sports announcer and wanted to do the Aggie games. I got a chance to do that for, you know, 25 years. And, and so I got to do exactly what I wanted to do. And then uh, working in, uh, at the radio station, um, you know, I've been able to have a job that I've enjoyed to do my whole life, and there's not a lot of people who get a chance to do that. Hey, by the way, we had somebody text in on our text line saying against Kansas, I think the other player was Cardell Butler. That's who it was. Thank right. you. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yep. We have. Yep. That's probably right. Well, Al, no one, no one did it better than you. Over 700 basketball games called, including 21 of those postseason games in the NCAA tournament, NIT and CIT. Uh, there's a reason why we asked you to be on this uh, on this show the weekend, uh, or excuse me, on this show this week, and we. Greatly appreciate your time and all you've done for Utah State University and all you've done for Cash Valley uh, Media Group. And uh, oh well, that's an, and and you know 
Uh, I wish I could be up there uh, uh, sharing, uh, you know, being able to see the guys. Uh, they deserve anything that they get uh, this week in recognition for what they did for Utah State. They're all terrific guys that are all a part of these four teams that they're bringing in this week. Al Lewis, Hall of Famer, thanks so much for uh, joining us and uh, being part of our Aggie Legends series and okay. uh, sharing the memories. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, guys.